0: This special episode is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now is the time to bring your people together online. Connect your followers, customers, or clients to each other and watch your movement grow. Mighty Networks makes it easy by providing a community platform, course builder, event directory, and member chat all in one accessible app. Plus, you can even charge for your community or valuable experiences. Find out more at MightyNetworks.com. People are still spending money. It's a message I've shared over and over again over the last two weeks. Not everyone is spending money and not everyone has the money to spend, but plenty of people are still investing in goods and services that will make their lives and businesses better. Along those lines, my friend Mark Butler shared some great insight with his audience last week after investing in a program, even in the midst of our current economic situation. He said that even when times are tough, when we need help, We'll invest with the people and businesses that we trust. Well, who do we trust? Well, they're the people, the brands that have made a lasting impact on us over the years. They're the people and companies that have made an effort to connect with us, the ones that share our values, that represent what we want to see more of in the world. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you stories about what's really working for small business owners today. And yes, people are still spending money, and they're spending it with brands they like and trust. This weekend, I spent money at my local brewery because I want to support them as they try to keep their workers employed. I spent money at a local cafe, and I spent money at Whole Foods, which might be a big corporation, but it's one that does a hell of a lot for its workers and our local economy. These brands are really important to me. They represent my home, my friends, and the world that I wanna live in. I value their presence and I want to see them thrive. They've worked hard to build brands that truly connect with people. The small business owners we support at the What Works Network are doing the same. We asked four of them to share how they approach brand building and what they've done to create a genuine connection between how they show up and the people they care about. Now, I want to let you know that each of these contributions was recorded before the outbreak had fully hit North America, but I think sharing them with you and inviting you to think about how you want to approach your own brand building is more important than ever. You'll hear from Layla Pomper from Process Driven, Lou Blazer from Second Breaks, Julie O'Hara from Hearts and Brains Consulting, and Margie Thomas from ScholarShape. Let's get into it.
1: First up, Margie Thomas from ScholarShape. I want ScholarShape to be known as an incubator for the most fascinating scholarship of the future. So traditionally, academic writing is, you know, pretty dense, pretty conservative, small c conservative. There are a lot of genre expectations for how it's supposed to look, and they can often feel constricting, and they can have an effect of sort of flattening the voices of scholars who are writing these articles and books to communicate new knowledge that they've discovered and created. So where scholarship comes in is it provides a sort of safe space and nurturing structure where scholars can center their creativity and their intuition and their humanity, and they can find their most courageous selves to say the things that are hard to say, but that really need to be said. And what we do in scholarship is we raise scholarship to the level of art. So we're not just communicating information to our readers. We're actually seeking to illuminate our readers and elevate them and activate them so that they go on about their lives and live better and be better in the same way that art can elevate us. So the way that we do this inside scholarship is by supporting each other using the language and vocabulary and framework of something that I call the story argument model. So I've synthesized this model based on thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of working with scholars one-on-one. I've kind of distilled the patterns that I see in scholarship that is fascinating and innovative, that's coherent to readers without having to follow all these rigid genre expectations. The way that fascinating scholarship does this is by making use of the two forms of meaning making that we humans use all the time in our daily lives to make sense of the world around us and communicate with each other. And those two methods are story and argument. We we all know how to we intuitively have some sense of how to tell stories and, you know, understand stories that are told to us, and we intuitively have some understanding of how to construct arguments to persuade people around us to do and think certain things. So the story-argument model shows how story and argument come together in Fascinating Scholarship. So the scholars who come into scholarship learn this vocabulary and framework and use it in communicating with one another to support each other in the process of designing their scholarship into story arguments. So that's the offer. Um, you know, the, the thing that I sell grows directly out of the story that I just told you about why scholarship is here. So that's a big way that the brand kind of plays out in the business is um, by kind of defining what it is I'm actually inviting my customers or clients into. And then there are some ways that the the story of scholarship, the brand, shines through in the words that I write, both inside the community and like external facing to draw new people into the community. And that brand also shines through in the visuals that I use. So in terms of the copy, the you know, the copy on my website, the language, the things that I write inside the community and in in my emails to people, all of that stuff. Every word that I write on behalf of scholarship is infused with this sense of hope for what scholarship can be and passion for the work of scholars and what it is that scholars are trying to do in the world. you know, pouring their lives into creating new knowledge that will make the world a better place. I used to shy away from using this language of passion and hope in communicating about scholarship because it's not really done in academia. You know, academics are all about intellect, um, evidence, professionalism. But I finally realized that the hope and the passion are core to the vision and they are, you know, it's essential for me to communicate in that way because it's exactly what I'm inviting scholars into. I also no longer shy away from talking about alternative ways of knowing that um, that I'm really attracted to, that, I, that bring a lot of energy and magic into scholar shape and that I think a lot of the scholars drawn to scholarship are also kind of secretly drawn to. Um, And when I say alternative ways of knowing, I mean things like astrology and tarot and magic, like all these forms of knowledge that have been marginalized and erased from the academic institution for so many generations. I think they actually hold some of the keys to bringing scholarship back to life and invigorating scholarship to to the point where it can survive and thrive in the generations to come, as our sort of um, traditional academic institutions are really disintegrating in a lot of ways. So the the words that I write inside of scholarship and in representing scholarship to the outside world, I I now kind of openly use language of magic um, and intuition. And you know the emotions of passion and hope, um, because the very things that make scholarship so weird and countercultural are like the very things that I, I have to just be willing to say out loud even though and because it's countercultural. And then in terms of visuals, two things that I do with the visuals inside you know the the program materials like the videos that people watch inside scholarship to learn story argument model. As well as in the visuals on my website, I use a lot of white space in order to convey a sense of spaciousness and possibility. Scholarship is all about holding a space for these individual scholars to come in and be supported as they create their amazing work and bring their ideas to life. So, all of the white space I leave—you know—I I restrain myself from filling that space because I want scholars to sense that scholarship is here for them. Scholarship is not about me, it's about the scholars who are who come in and the work that they do there. And then the other thing I do with visuals is, you know, to the extent that I use images and visual metaphors, I pull things from many different time periods, different cultures all around the world because I want to give a sense of encyclopedicness to what I'm showing. In other words, you know, the story argument model is all about like the deepest, deepest structures and patterns of the universe, which means they are manifested everywhere, all over the place, all different cultures, all different places and times. So by using these kind of encyclopedic visuals, I can convey that. And I can also hopefully make Scholar Shape feel more welcoming to people, no matter where they are or who, or who they are. They can find some images and and metaphors that are familiar and resonant with them. So these are just a few of the ways that the ScholarShape brand is infused through the offer that I sell, the words that I use, both inside the community and external facing communications, and in the visuals that I use to convey ideas. Next,
0: let's hear the big why behind Julie O'Hara's business, Hearts and Brains Consulting.
2: I offer Facebook and Instagram ad services for online business owners who want to grow their audience and their sales with paid advertising. So besides the fact that I love running Facebook ads, my big why behind my brand is that you don't have to be a big successful business already or have a huge budget to benefit from paid advertising. And also that you won't wake up one day and find that you've turned into a sleazy internet marketer standing in front of her rented Lamborghini on YouTube if you happen to start using Facebook and Instagram ads. Facebook and Instagram ads are for all of us. (laughs) So the way that I've built my hearts and brains brand is very different from the way that I've done things in the past. So for the past four years, I had a B2C business in a small health niche. And my marketing was very much about my content, and that's what represented my brand. My business model relied on big numbers, so growing that email list with SEO for my blog content, lots of time with Pinterest, lots and lots of free content, and this was very much a one-to-many style of marketing. So now with hearts and brains, with providing one-on-one services to other business owners, it is all about building relationships and demonstrating my authority. So what that actually looks like is networking in online groups like the What Works Network, Um, being present, being helpful, reaching out to my own network of fellow business owners just to let people know what I'm doing so I can maintain those relationships and stay top of mind. And it also means a big old Instagram strategy. So since I need to connect and build relationships with other business owners, that seems to be the place where we are all hanging out right now. And to establish expertise, I'm doing weekly Instagram Lives. And it is tempting to just talk about how to do Facebook ads and tips and strategies. But of course there is some of that, but that's not necessarily the most important thing. The important thing is going back to that message and empowering fellow business owners that Facebook ads are for them. You don't have to be a certain kind of business and you don't have to have a ton of money already. This is how you grow. And since that's what I want to be known for as the go-to person for Facebook and Instagram ads for small online businesses, that message is what it comes back to over and over.
0: Next up, we'll hear how Layla Pomper from Process Driven sees her brand as a whole business kind of thing.
3: I help small teams set up technology and connect all of their software in the cloud so that way they can do their work in less time by using automations and streamlining. If there's a software out there, odds are I've either used it, taken it apart, set it up or integrated it, and I've been using this experience for the past few years to help small businesses get over their fear of technology. You see, I've built my brand sort of from the inside out. At the core, what I really, really dislike is the culture of technology and small business as it exists today. It is so filled with fear and jargon, and I'm the only one that knows that. You'll never figure it out on your own. So much of that. And I am tired of it. At the core, process-driven is about helping business owners feel like they are in charge of their technology, maybe for the first time. But... Having that mission and living it out has not always been the easiest process. It's been an ongoing process of alignment, trying to figure out a way to manifest that mission in a business context. So let me first say I view branding in two categories, internal and external. External is the things like the colors, the fonts, the logos, the branding that you traditionally see on anything that you print or publish. But to me, branding begins at an internal layer both reflectively and internally as an inside your business. The processes and workflows and client experience you deliver, in my opinion, is the core to what a brand really is. And when I was trying to build my brand, (laughs) I had such a strong dislike of my industry that I thought that would be (laughs) the easiest place to start. So I tried. And let me first tell you what didn't work. I knew I disliked the managed IT world. I disliked the the fear that was built into the IT infrastructure. And so when I started my business, I knew I needed to get to the technophobic people, but I didn't know the right way to do it. And when I first started, I thought the best way would be to be in the room, almost literally holding hands with my client as they worked through setting up cloud software, setting it all up, finding the right tools, migrating information, and connecting everything into a streamlined haven of SaaS productivity. And, you know, I was partially right. It was a really easy way to do the work and it did produce results and clients were excited to see their technology be connected in such an intuitive way. But, and this is the one I didn't expect, turns out when I was the one sitting there doing all of these things, when I left the room, the client thought the technology did too. (laughs) They thought of me as their new IT whisperer, the only person who could possibly understand the stuff that was in there. And that, to me was a huge problem. Now, yes, of course, if I was looking at this from a financial perspective, being needed is awesome. But considering my mission, being needed in that way was a total failure. So I needed to rethink it. I needed to rethink my internal branding. And I finally got clear by doing something maybe a little unintuitive. In the world of software implementation, most people start out on setting up. And that makes sense, right? That takes a lot of time and clients don't like to do it. But to make my business truly be something that's empowering business owners to take charge of their own technology, I needed to get out of the set up puzzle. And that's the switch I made about a year into my business. Made a lot of difference. So instead of me being the person setting up all the technology, I started letting my client push the buttons. I taught them what to do. I gave them all the steps, but I educated them and let them build the software stack of their dreams and the results spoke for themselves, this subtle shift of getting myself out of the way of making myself not the hero, but the sidekick was what it took to take process driven from being a nice little business to a powerful small business that it is today. Now, i kind of alluded that this had positive results financially and whatnot, but let me also say how this is manifested in other forms of branding. Once I got really clear on how I was different from the crowded and ever evolving software implementation space, it became a lot easier to market, a lot easier to close deals, and a lot easier to actually deliver the results I wanted to deliver. And all of this just by knowing exactly what I wanted to do, why I wanted to do it, and starting branding from the inside out.
0: Finally, we'll hear from Lou Blazer from Second Breaks as she navigates a shift in how she represents her brand and business.
4: I run Second Breaks Media, a company founded on a mission to help Gen Xers and boomers navigate a changing world of work. I deliver on this mission through a weekly curated newsletter and a podcast called Second Breaks. Now, both the newsletter and the podcast explore themes that are paramount to anyone who wants to thrive in their chosen careers, but particularly to Gen Xers and Boomers who have unique interests and challenges just by the very nature of their priorities and where they are in their lives and careers. You can find out more about the newsletter and the podcast at secondbreaks.com. Now, behind the scenes, the direction and focus of the business is rather new. This is really a pivot that I decided to make in the last quarter of 2019. But the mission is the same as it has always been for the last four to five years. The company has always been about helping Gen Xers and Boomers thrive in this new world of work. What's changed is how I execute on that mission. Effectively, Second Breaks changed from a service-based company to a digital media company. This one single decision changed the products, the operations, and the business model. And crucially, one of the things that I had to focus on immediately is the change in my company's branding and, funnily enough, my own personal branding as well. And by that, I mean the way that I show up in the world as an evangelist of my business. Before the pivot, I provided coaching services. The focus was delivering one-on-one career pivot and career change consulting work. The company was about dispensing advice, step-by-step how-to, and project management. Growth was directly tied to client acquisition. Branding-wise, that meant that the company, and I really, had to be seen and known as an expert in career pivot and career change. This wasn't just about website copy. This positioning extended to what I wrote about on blog posts, the topics and stories that I covered on the podcast, how I showed up on social media, and also how I approached community outreach. Since the pivot, the world inside Second Breaks turned upside down. Today, it's less about Lou Blazer being seen or known as an expert and more about surfacing the most relevant and prescient information that's already out there. It's less about helping clients make a pivot step-by-step step, and more about helping readers understand the macro and micro developments that are happening across industries, minus the hive, I should say, so that they can make informed decisions and take actions on their careers. And it's not about me giving tips or advice, rather it's about sharing what I am noticing and learning, and it's less about providing answers, And uh, often it's more about encouraging questions. As the chief evangelist of my company, it has been a welcomed and dare I say, freeing pivot from a branding perspective. This pivot has freed me from giving advice. It's freed me from having to teach all the time. It has freed me to simply share. Now I use the word simply, but I don't use that word to mean that it's easy. I had to, and actually have to, continuously ask myself, how does a company that is about information show up in the world? How do I show up as a curator or a publisher, even? What's been most helpful for me as I make this brand pivot is to be asking those questions every week, which I plan to do until all of this becomes second nature. Also, it's been helpful to focus on the company values that I want to demonstrate and embody, and those values are curiosity, self-agency, and positivity. I am right in the middle of this branding pivot, and candidly, I don't always know what to do or what might work or if this thing that I'm planning to do, if it's going to fit or if it's going to feel natural. Some days I have to fight the urge to hide or revert to the same old, same old because the new still feels awkward. Right now, my guiding hypothesis is that just like everything else in my business, this rebranding is just going to be something that I will have to keep trying and iterating on until I discover what works.
0: Your brand is a way to connect with people. It represents a relationship between your business and the people you care about. And that relationship is key to keeping your business resilient no matter what the economy is like. When you're connecting deeply with people, it's hard to fail. I hope that What Works is a brand you connect with. My sincere hope is that you value the stories and conversations we bring to you each week and that you share our belief that bringing small business owners together to share openly and honestly helps to make us all smarter and more successful. If you're looking for a thoughtful place to process what's happening in your business, your life or the world right now, I want to invite you to join us inside the What Works Network. Our members are sharing their experiences, their fears, their hopes and their questions without the drama or panic you might find elsewhere. We'd love to support you as you navigate this unusual moment in our world. You can join us for 30 days of free support when you join us before March 31st. Go to explorewhatworks.com slash network. Cancel anytime, no hassle, no risk. Again, go to explorewhatworks.com network to find out more. What Works is produced by Yellowhouse Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt and our production assistant is Kristen Runvik. Find over 270 more episodes of What Works at explorewhatworks.com.